You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Shout a Buffalo Bills football podcast. We got a fun one for you today. We went for about an hour with Mike Rodak from AL.com, cover the Bills for a couple seasons before moving down to Alabama uh, to cover the Crimson Tide. Then uh, NJ.com's Mike K covers the Philadelphia Eagles. Obviously, a lot of Zach Ertz talk this offseason, um, uh, centered around a trade potentially with the Bills. So we tap into both of their extensive knowledge around the NFL and, and college football. And, and we have a good time on the show. Some great insight from both of them, uh, Ryan Talbot as well as usual. But I wanted to start this one off before we get into the, the mock draft episode. I feel like we, we always interact with all of the um, video uh, listeners of the podcast uh, during the shows. And, and we tell them a lot of different things uh, live. But I want to give a quick, quick shout out about something we have coming up so that everybody that participates in this uh, listening to this podcast in audio form uh, has an equal opportunity to join. We're doing a virtual pre-draft Zoom this Tuesday, two days before the draft. Basically, what it's going to be is it's going to be a ton of Bills fans uh, in one Zoom chat room with myself, Ryan Talbot. We're going to have a couple guests stop by. As of now, it's Nate Geary and Sal Capaccio from WGR. We're hoping to add more. Some might be announced. Some might be a surprise. Uh, stay tuned for that. But if you want to participate, we'll be giving away some shout t-shirts as well. It's going to be a fun time. Uh, we're looking forward to it. Send me an email, mperino uh, at nyup.com. That's M-P-A-R-R-I-N-O at N-Y-U-P, nyup.com. And that'll get you in the room. I'll send you a link and, and, and you can participate. We're really looking forward to it. Uh, but without any further ado, here is our uh, Mock Draft 2.0 with Mike Rodak and Michael K. What is up, everybody? Another edition of the Shout Mock Draft is here, and we got a fun little panel here today. And listen, for all you guys getting ready, getting your Twitter fingers ready or your, your, your YouTube fingers ready, get off my guy Mike Rodak, okay? He's coming in here. He's bringing a lot of uh, college Alabama expertise. Um, let go. Let bygones be got bygones. Let go of old um, 
anger and, and, and accept him because listen, he's got a lot of information to, to pass through here. And Mike Rodak is joining us. Mike K from NJ.com, Ryan Talbot. How are you boys? Good, well, man. How are you, Ryan? Hey, no complaints here. Excited to go through another one of these mock drafts. All right. So, um, couple reasons I brought these two guys specifically on this episode. Uh, Mike uh, Rodak covers Alabama uh, for AL.com. Mike K covers the Eagles for NJ.com. And we are all advanced media brethren just getting under one roof, one virtual roof here, you know, to talk some uh, college football, some NFL draft. Uh, some bills. I, I'm interested to get your take on on where things have gone the last two years, Mike. Uh, but we'll get into it here pretty quickly um, because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to take all day here. Everybody's got stuff to do. Let's start off with you, Ryan. Uh, at the top here, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm sure uh, there's no surprise coming. Yeah, no, Trevor Lawrence. I'm not taking calls. I'm not wasting time. I'm I'm taking the card up there and I'm I'm kicking off the draft right away with Trevor Lawrence. All right, number two. And by the way, it's going to go Ryan, myself, uh, Mike Rodak, and three. And I place him there specifically because I think that's where the draft starts. And, you know, somebody that he's covered pretty closely has been a, a guy that's been talked about quite a bit during this process. Um, oh, shoot, I messed up already. I took Kyle Pitts at two. I meant to take Zach Wilson. The draft network changed their rankings. Zach Wilson had been two forever. So scratch that. We'll, we'll do the we'll, – we'll edit it after the fact. But um, actually, I'm just going to restart it because it's going to um, bother me. But let's get into pick number three here, uh, Mike, because, listen – I think most most of people think or, or have arrived or accepted the fact that Mac Jones is, you know, buying into the smoke that Mac Jones is going to be the pick uh, for the 49ers. What are your thoughts on that? And what are what's your take on covering Mac? Yeah, I thought that's a little too high for him. I thought when he was projected in the late teens, early 20s, that was probably a better spot for him and kind of what his skill set is. And then it just seemed like he kept getting higher and higher and there was a little while where he was like seven or eight going to the Panthers or one of those teams in there. And then now all of a sudden the 49ers make that trade and he's number three. And I just don't think he's the third best player in the draft. I don't think he's the third best quarterback. That's not to say he's a bad player. I think he's a really good player. I think he had a really good year and a half at Alabama as a starter. Um, but that's high. And look, for the sake of this draft, I'll make this pick for the 49ers. And I think it's going to be Mac. But I'll agree with Daniel Jeremiah this week. I don't know if you heard him for NFL.com, who I think he has Mac as his 32nd overall prospect. And he said, look, I think the 49ers are going to take him. I'll, I'll mock him number three, but I'm not sh quite sure he's that that level of prospect. And I, I'll agree with him there. I think he's a, he's a good player. I think he can be a, a good to very good NFL starter. But is he a, that sort of talent? where you can change a team and then change the course of franchise. Eh, I'm not totally convinced about that. All right. Uh, but you are going to make the pick for Mac, as you said, and it seems like all signs are pointing in that direction. So Mike K, um, the Falcons are on the clock. Uh, interesting pick here. And, and if Mac happens to be the pick in the, in, at number three, this is kind of where that draft, this draft really starts in, in a lot of ways. What are you thinking? Yeah, I don't know if we're doing trades, but if I'm Atlanta, I'm fielding calls. I'm trying to get as much value as I can for this new regime. That said, I think Kyle Pitts is, is a generational tight end. Uh, Hayden Hurst is a nice move tight end, whatever. But when you look at Arthur Smith's offense, he's extremely creative in getting guys open. He's extremely creative in, in matching strength to strength uh, as far as 
player to to play call. And I think Kyle Pitts, man, like look, Matt Ryan, they just re you know reworked his deal. He's gonna be around for at least two more years. Do you really want to sink the cost of one, his contract with not filling up the the offense around him and then also making him mentor a quarterback who might not be ready to play in two years. Because when you look at Justin Fields and you look at Trey Lance, I think both have the highest ceiling outside of Trevor Lawrence, but I also think they have the lowest floor as well. And so that's where I'm kind of at. I also think they need some time. So I'm going to go with Kyle Pitts at number four. I like it. I think that that's probably, unless there's a move to be made, I, I got the – I'm picking for the Cowboys down at number 10. I think that that's one team that could fall in love with Kyle Pitts and, and try to move up. Um, you, obviously, you know, that's a divisional opponent. What are your thoughts on that? Is that something that you could see – well, I know you could probably see Jerry Jones doing it, but would it be wise with all the needs that they have on the defensive side of the ball? They have no defense. Like, literally, they have no defense. They have Demarcus Lawrence and Jalen Smith and, like, nothing else. So – um as much as they'd like to add somebody like Kyle Pitts, you're also kind of negating CD lamb. Who's going to play mostly in the slot. You've already got three really good wide receivers. Why take one of those guys away from the ball? Um, You know, I I just, I kind of don't really understand the value with the risk reward there. Look, I think Kyle Pitts is, is phenomenal, but to get to four, you're trading probably, a future first round pick or you're trading a second round pick and change. And that's a lot to go up and get a tight end. Indeed. I just mentioned it because, you know, Jerry and who knows what could happen with that pick because oh, no, honestly, they could do it. I mean, they could because no, I, I look at that. I, I've had them. I had them in a mock draft last night for the TV show. And, you know, there's a couple different directions they can go, but I think that the lack of talent at the edge rusher position Defensive line as a whole, at top, you know, in the top ten, and some other questions, even a cornerback. I know that some some people that you talk to, they love Patrick Sertan. And I guess let me bring in Mike here for, for a second. I'm sure he's going to go in the next five. What are your thoughts on on Sertan? Because I think like some people I've I've read as I've really dig dig through like the content com- creation community, whether it be podcast or people writing about it. He's the consensus top guy, but I think that there still are some questions about Sertan if he's that true number one corner. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't know if he jumped off as like a generational to steal K's term there corner when he was at Alabama. You know, they their defense ha- had a lot of issues the last couple of years. I mean, there's games where you look at the LSU game two years ago where they took some pretty big hits um, to Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Terrence Marshall. Um, you look at the Florida game, the SEC championship game this year. I think Sertan gave up a couple big plays there to Kadarius Tony. Um, and obviously Pitts did some damage in that game. So it wasn't as if this Alabama defense was shutting people down. That wasn't how they won last year. It wasn't how they're going to win the year before. And I don't think Sertan is quite at that, you know, shutdown corner level, but he's pretty good. Um, you know, I, I, it seems like he's gonna be a top 10 pick. Will he pan out as a top 10 talent? I, I think that remains to be seen. I think he's just considered a safe pick because of the bloodlines. Um, he's a very boring guy, and I mean it in a good way. Like he's okay. the opposite of Jalen Ramsey. He's the opposite of Richard Sherman. He's not going to be a, a guy who's going to get you in trouble off the field. So I think he's safe from that aspect. I think you know what you're getting from him, but I don't know if he's you know, an A-plus sort of talent. 
Um, thank you for joining us. If you're just jumping in here, this is our second live mock draft. We have Mike K from NJ.com, Mike Rodak uh, from AL.com, covers Alabama down there, and Ryan Talbot, who's on the clock uh, with the Cincinnati Bengals. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, you know, a lot of people are rejecting an offensive lineman here to the Bengals, and I understand it. I get it. You want to protect Joe Burrow. But I like that they signed Riley Reef, and I know it's a one-year deal, and they, they still have Jonah Williams. They have some other talent there, and I think in round two, they can address some other issues, whether it's interior, whether it's finding a right tackle of the future. I think Jamar Chase just makes too much sense. Bring him back. You match him up with Joe Burrow. A superstar wide receiver is going to win you more games than uh, an outstanding offensive lineman, in, in my opinion. You bring in Chase, you have him with T. Higgins, you have him with Tyler Boyd, and now all of a sudden Joe Burrow has a legitimate trio of wide receivers. Yeah, I like that. And um, the thing about Sewell, as you know, universally – um, lauded as he's been throughout this draft process, there's still that that gap year that I think that you know general managers are going to consider a, a lot more than maybe he's being talked about right now. And Sewell's the kind of guy he might not fit into that bucket just because of how good the tape was and how um, you know coveted offensive linemen are. But I like the the tough decision that the Bengals Bengals are going to have in this spot. We moved to Miami, uh, jumping off of um, Mike's uh, case point from number four. I think if Pitts is off the board here and Chase is off the board, depending on how they feel about the Alabama wide receivers, um, I, I definitely think they could consider a jump back again, especially if you have a Panthers team or a Broncos team maybe uh, trying to jump up uh, for that quarterback or even the Patriots at 15. Um, so because we're not doing trades, I'm going to give them a player, and, and I am going to go wide receiver – I think it's interesting that both – I believe it was both Waddle and um, um, Devonta Smith who said that they, they thought Mac Jones was better than Tua and one of them could end up playing with him again. What did you make of that, Mike, uh, those comments, and how do you think either one of those guys would help Tua in a very important year too? Um, that's always a tough question, I think, when they're asked that, whether it's by an NFL team or by someone in the media because they're picking between – two pretty good locker room guys. Mm -hmm. Mac, I think, just had a little different quality to him, or I think he, he brought people together a little bit more than Tua did. And again, everybody, I think, will read into it one way or the other that it, it's, a, it's a knock against Tua if you say Mac, or it's a knock against Mac if you say Tua. I think they were both really good. I think they like playing with both of them. Um, I don't know if you know there's a, a big story there just from having covered both of those guys, but... Um, as far as how they could help Tua, I mean, a lot. I mean, that's the sort of – that's what he thrived in at Alabama is that RPO offense where get rid of the ball and put it in the hands of someone like Waddle who can make guys miss. Because um, I don't know if if Tua's as much of the second, third read, throwing down field guy as, as some other quarterbacks are, but he's deadly with some like those slant routes they ran two years ago where – He's so accurate. He can put the ball right where he needs to be. And then, again, you get in the hands of someone who can make some plays. That's that's his bread and butter. And if they can, if Miami can do that, then they could be in good shape. I'm, I'm not – like, I I would not totally shut down Tua yet. I think he still has a pretty good chance to be a, a good NFL player. And so let me jump in on that because uh, first of the pick – I think if this scenario plays out the way it will, it's going to be Jalen Waddle. Like I'm pretty convinced. 
Uh, I wouldn't say bet your house on it, but I'd be pretty convinced. For one, they traded up to six after trading back from three to 12. Uh, There was some assumption that either Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase can make it to six, but you can't trade a future number one pick knowing that there's a chance that they might not be there. And so to me, their options were threefold. It was either going to be Pitts, Chase, or another player. Waddle makes a ton of sense. He's got that background with Tua, as Mike brought up. And here's the thing. I think this trade was ridiculous. I think they absolutely overpaid. If you're a Bills fan, you should be thrilled about this. Because to trade a future number one... Look, the 2022 draft, no matter who you talk about in evaluation thinks that this next year is going to be a much more valuable class than this year. Not because of the quarterbacks, not because of the wide receivers, but because there's going to be complete information. You brought up earlier, Sewell Sewell took the year off. Chase took the year off. There are guys that have not played in a year. There was no combine. Uh, There were no in-person interviews. The evaluation process is incomplete for so many of these players, which leads to like a minefield for mistakes. And I think a lot of teams are going to covet 2022 picks if they trade back in this draft, just as the Eagles have done taking a conditional 2022 first or second round pick from, from the Colts for Carson Wentz. And then with this trade back, accepting a 2022 first round pick going back six spots that's overpaying like crazy for Miami. And now they're probably stuck unless, you know, maybe somebody wants to trade up for Justin Fields or Trey Lance. That's everybody keeps talking about them playing chess when everybody else is playing checkers. No, they significantly overpaid without knowing how the board was going to be stacked. That's not really great business in my opinion. I think, uh, Greery's getting a lot of praise over the last few years for how he's handled the roster. But when you look at stuff like this, trading for Matt Burita and not using him, signing Jordan Howard to the most ridiculous contract I've ever seen in the history of me covering beat writing or being a beat writer. I mean, like he's made a lot of mistakes and I think this is going to be one of them so, because you're trading an extra first round pick. You're, you're investing two first round picks in whoever this player is. You, you a talked me into Waddle who I'm going to take here at six and B really um you know showing off for bill's mafia they're loving everything that you're 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 feeding them right now so i mean it's a, it's, a, it's an utterly ridiculous move in my opinion <laughs> like here's the here but here's the thing we're gonna get to the eagles pick in a second they're sitting there at 12 they can jump up whenever they want to if they trade the 70th overall pick they can get to eight if they trade the 70th overall pick in a six round pick they can get to seven if they trade the 84th overall pick they can get to nine What's to stop the Dolphins when they have all this stuff to watch how the board develops and then jump when the time's right? Then you're saving yourself trading up an extra first-round pick. I know you got two first-round picks from San Francisco, but you're playing a lot of like make-believe here in advance, and I find that ridiculous, especially with this draft class. No, I think everything that you said is fair, and I think that that they have a lot of draft capital, and it, I feel like they probably – they might have overplayed their hand a little bit, kind of anticipating what's going to be there at six. But I also believe that they probably have a couple scenarios that they'd be fine with. Otherwise, why would you make that deal? We'll see how it plays out. I'll be interesting to see the reporting around the pick as it's made. Rodak at number seven, moving us right along, the Detroit Lions. Are they going to break some kneecaps this year, Mike? Yeah, see, this is a spot where I'd probably trade down if I was them. And it seems like this is a pretty popular spot, I know. ESPN's mock um, 
today, yesterday, whenever it came out, had them trading down to the Patriots. Because you have quarterbacks on the board in this scenario. You have Trey Lance on the board. You have Fields on the board. But if you can't make a trade, and if I'm the Lions, I'm looking, all right, you have Sewell still around. He can probably use a tackle. But if I'm building a team, I want my quarterback before I want my tackle. I know everybody talks about inside out, building the lines first. You need a quarterback. I mean, and Jared Goff's not your long-term answer. I think you're kind of hanging on to his contract for the next couple of years because you have to. But in the meantime, you can develop a guy like Trey Lance who's hanging around on the board, who I think is pretty talented player. Again, I, I haven't watched him. I don't know if anybody's really watched a guy. He's played what one game in the last two years, mm. but I think this is a spot where if you're Holmes, the GM there, you got to take a chance on a quarterback. So that's Trey Lance um, to the lions at seven. I like it. Um, Kay's up with the Carolina Panthers. Now uh, still with Teddy Bridgewater under uh, on the roster. Uh, Sam Darnold, obviously uh, after that trade, what do they do at eight? Penny Sewell done. Boom. Running the card. I'm hi- I'm hiring Barry Allen to run that card to the, the podium. It's done. If you can't make a trade that you think nets you an extra first round pick or an extra second round pick to move back, make the move. You need a block for Sam Darnold because he's never had that in his life and he needs to know what that feels like. Perfect. Um, I like the uh, the slam dunk picks. Ryan at nine with the Denver Broncos. Yeah, another slam dunk pick. Justin Fields is still on the board. I don't think that they're sold on Drew Locke. If they fall, he falls into their lap. You have to go with Justin Fields here, who you know could end up being the, the second best quarterback in this draft class when all is said and done. Um, I had Dallas here um, in a recent mock that I did. I had him take Rashawn Slater. I think that there's some questions about that pick, though, because I don't know if there, if there's necessarily a consensus on where he's going to play. He's going to come in as a tackle, but in a lot of ways, he reminds me a little bit of of Cody Ford, who you know all of the O line experts are talking a lot about interior O line. Do you make that pick? I know it's all about Dak Prescott, uh, but I, I question that. I, I go back to what Mike said about Sertain. He's going to go top ten. Uh, he may not be that. Um, that A plus day one superstar corner, but they got to start somewhere. And I'm going to go with Sertan at number 10. And then 11, uh, the Giants back to Rodak. Yeah, this is a spot where, I mean, you can say that maybe I'm lower on Mac and Sertan than some other people are, but I'm higher on Devontae Smith than where I think other people are. Um, I know people like Waddle ahead of him. Waddle's more of a home run hitter. You're, you're kind of needing to catch lightning in a bottle with him a little bit on, on some plays. I think Devontae Smith is a much more consistent player, play in and play out, game in and game out for the last two years, every single game that I've covered him. And people want to talk about his size and durability. There's never an issue with that. I mean, you're playing against SEC players. They're as big as NFL players. Um, he was never hurt. And, again, just produced. Nick Saban would say he's never in his office. He's – the antithesis, antithesis of what you'd expect a number one wide receiver to be from a personality standpoint, a really quiet guy who was boring as heck with us. And um, again, I just think he's a little bit underrated in this draft. He had the Heisman Trophy winner, a guy who set every sort of record, did it against pretty top level talent. So even if you're the Giants and you have Kenny Galladay and, you know, a couple other receivers and talented guys, Sterling Shepard, John Ross, I, you still got to take Devontae Smith here. Mike K uh, covers the Philadelphia Eagles for NJ.com. You got the floor, my friend. Well, 
uh, Mike just made this a lot easier uh, for this fan base. Uh, there's only one guy where they really should go and where they will go. But, you know, there's a butterfly effect here, okay? Devonta Smith now with the Giants. They also have Kenny Galladay, as Mike mentioned. Uh, Ross, um, you know, uh, Darius Slayton, um, Sterling Shepard. Who's going to cover all these guys? And if you look at the Eagles secondary, it is atrocious. They have the worst cornerback group in the league, even with it having a true number one in Darius Slay. Everyone else you've never heard of or has played terribly when you've watched them nationally. So I think, you know, the Athletic just put out a bunch of anonymous source stuff. Um, and said that J.C. Horn is is the most talented corner in this draft. There's so much upside to this kid. Uh, he gets the game. His ball skills are fantastic, even though he wasn't a big interception guy. He only had two career interceptions. But his plays on the ball, his physicality, he's going to make everything hard for you as a wide receiver. He's got the size. He's got the speed. He does basically everything you'd want in a high upside uh, top 12 pick. And remember, they're not just getting J.C. Horn out of this pick. They're getting J.C. Horn in a 2022 first-round pick. So you make that value feel good. Like I I think they could trade up for Sertan at nine if the Broncos want to move back. But I would say J.C. Horn, with everything that's off the board, is a slam dunk for them, and they should feel really good about this pick. Very good. Great explanation. I think that that um, makes a lot of sense. Ryan at 13, uh, the Chargers, who I think could go a couple different ways here with this pick. Yeah, there's a lot of options out there, but I really like what they've done already this offseason. They know they have their franchise quarterback in Justin Herbert. So what do they do in the offseason free agency? They add Corey Lindsley, one of the best offensive linemen available. They add Matt Filer. I still think they need a tackle. And with Rashawn Slater on the board, you're adding another piece to that offensive line. You're building around that franchise quarterback. There's already some weapons there at wide receiver. So when you have to keep up with the Kansas City Chiefs of the world, you need to have an offense that can stay on the field as well and put up points. And I think that building around your quarterback with a stout offensive line is the way to go here. Um, at 14, the Minnesota Vikings step up to the plate. And I think this is kind of an easy pick for them. Uh, I think Quiddy Pay, whether where wherever you have these guys slotted out, there's three or four um, in the conversation. Probably three when it comes to the who's going to end up being the top defensive end and the top one coming off the board. I think Pay's the safest, and I think just because of where things are standing on the board, I like them going in that direction here. And that brings us to 15. I know Bills fans are excited about where uh, Mike Rodak is going to go with uh, the the Patriots here at 15. See, I figured that's why you put this uh, draft order the way it was. <laughs> not, not to say I'd be picking Mac Jones number three, but also aside from making the Patriots pick just for, for Bills fans, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so, I mean, looking at who's on the board, obviously the Patriots, I think if a quarterback happened to fall to this spot, I'm sure that would be interesting to them. The guy who interests me is really Canarius Tony um, as a wide receiver, but it's probably a little bit early. I think right now you see a couple of linebackers that are really standing out. Micah Parsons and Jeremiah Wusu koromoa Parsons is probably seems like a little bit of the better talent between the two. Um, although Koromoa had a really good game against Alabama too, if I remember correctly, in the Rose Bowl. But I think Parsons is probably my pick here. When you look at needing to kind of look forward for the Patriots, you have Dante Hightower who opted out last year. He's in his tenth year now. Um, bigger, slower linebacker. Juwan Bentley is the same way. 
And I think for the defense and, and where they need to get that defense to go in the long term, Parsons is probably the, the pick here for him. I know they have Uche that they picked up last year and Anthony Jennings and a couple other younger guys. But, um, you know, I think the Patriots tend to look a year forward. And if you don't have Hightower in a year, then I think Parsons is probably your starting inside linebacker. K at 16. This is kind of a tough one because it seems like they're really going for it in the third year of the Kyler Murray era. But so you don't want to really take a guy who's going to need time, but you also kind of don't want to draft somebody who's not a proper value. I'm going to go with uh, Ali Vera Tucker from USC. I think he slides right in one of the guard spots, gives you time to protect Kyler Murray. And, you know, he's a West Coast guy. I'm sure they'll they'll like him. I'm not really fond of that pick, but what are you going to do? Ryan, do you want me to scroll down to like 30 to 40 to see who the Raiders are going to take or <laughs> where do you stay where it's, it's at? It's fair. It's it's definitely fair. You never know with the Raiders. And I actually have it down to two different players here. Uh, I think they could go offensive line, offensive tackle. So seeing Christian Darasaw out there still is intriguing. Uh, but I'm, I'm starting to see linebacker being a very popular pick for the Raiders. And it makes sense. You want someone that can – be out there on the field. They need that athleticism. They need that speed. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. All right. So I get I get the Dolphins again coming back around, and I I think they could maybe take a running back here. I think it's a little bit high. I know they want to put weapons around um, Tua, um, but I 18 is a little bit high, and with just one edge rusher off the board, I think that they probably stick there. I think the concerns about Jalen Phillips are going to push him down a little bit. And I think Ojolari, um, I think he kind of fits maybe into what um, Flores wants to do there and the kind of, uh, you know, boxes that he checks that you know, he's a little bit smaller, maybe a little bit quicker. Um, so I'm going to go with Ojolari. I think it could be Phillips. I just think that with the, um, the medical stuff, I'm wondering, um, you know, some people are coming out and, and, and calling him perhaps the, I think it was Chris Collinsworth who said he thinks he's the, the best defensive player in the draft. I think that, you know, that some, pe- some teams could have that view, but I think the safer pick here is Ojolari. So I'll go there. The Washington football team and Mike Rodak. Yeah. Again, I was pretty high on, um, on Tony and I'm thinking about him here and, you know, is that really the WFT's top need? I don't know. Um, this is almost one where I have to make it on the fly, but I'm going to go Kadarius Tony. Maybe it's a little bit of stretch for him. I like seeing him play in the SEC championship game. I thought he had a really, really good game against um, Patrick Sertan that day, and uh, he's my pick here for WFT. And then that really creates a fun, kind of scary receiver room. If they can find somebody to, you know, I mean, I think even with Ryan Fitzpatrick, they'll be fun, but if they can find a long-term answer, you know, maybe even this coming off season in the draft next year or whatever, I mean, they got a lot of talent. You had Tony in the mix. I, I love a pick like Tony, 15 to 30, just based on what's winning in the league today. And mm-hmm. watching his highlight tape, I mean, it, it jumps off. So I, I, I wouldn't even have a problem with that pick. Uh, K at 20, the Bears. Whew, this one's rough. Uh, <laughs> um, They have to win now, frankly. And uh, – the best way to win now is to protect the quarterback, whatever quarterback that may be, whether it's Andy Dalton or Nick Foles or whoever they bring off the street at Soldier Field. Uh, Christian Darisaw is going to be my pick here. I mean, they miss out on a quarterback. They're done. Ryan, Colts? 
Yeah, you know, offensive tackle and edge were the two needs that I wrote down for for the Colts. Obviously, they lost Anthony Costanzo to retirement, uh, but but I feel like they're also in that win now mode after trading for Carson Wentz. They feel like they can win, and if you watch the Super Bowl, obviously, you know, getting after the quarterback is one way that you can stop Patrick Mahomes or at least slow him down. So you just mentioned his name, Jalen Phillips, is out there. Uh, concussion history. Yes. He retired to pursue a rap career at one point, but I I'm rolling the dice on him. I think that you can bring it all together. He can be that guy for the Colts that can get after the quarterback. Uh, they, you know, they lost Justin Houston or he's still out there in free agency and he kind of is coming off of a down year anyways. So replace him with, with maybe the most talented edge rusher in this draft class. Yeah, I think it could go a couple ways with the Titans at 22. Um, and real quick for the audio only, let me, um, run back through uh, the draft where we're at so far. I know we haven't done that to this point, and I'll get yelled at. Uh, Trevor Lawrence went one to the Jags. Zach Wilson to the Jets at two. The Niners, Mac Jones. Atlanta, Kyle Pitts. The Bengals, Jamar Chase. The Dolphins, Jalen Waddell. Uh, the Lions, Trey Lance. Uh, Carolina, Panay Sewell. Justin Fields to the Broncos. Patrick Sertan to the Cowboys. Devonta Smith to the Giants. J.C. Horn to the Eagles. Rashawn Slater to the Chargers, Quiddy Pay to the Vikings, Micah Parsons to the Patriots, Elijah Vera Tucker to the Cardinals, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa to the Raiders, the Dolphins take Aziz Ojolari, Washington football team Kadarius Tony, Bears Christian Derisaw, and Jalen Phillips to the Indianapolis Colts. You know, I'm gonna go. I think in most mock drafts before this past like seven days, I probably would have gone Caleb Farley here just because I think that the upside is there. But I, the more we really dive into this thing, and, you know, we've talked about it already, the guys didn't play last year and the injury concerns and not really, you know, Brandon Bean said on his press conference that getting the guys out in Indianapolis, that helped. And so maybe that will help Caleb Farley. Maybe a team will really, you know, dive in on him and be okay with it. Uh, but I think, you know, you look at what the, what, what the Tennessee Titans want to do. They want to run the football uh, I think Tevin Jenkins is 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 a bit of an animal uh, and uh, a guy that plays you know, physical style play. I think he'll fit in there. So we'll go Tevin Jenkins. Jets at 23, Mike Rodak. Well, speaking of Caleb Farley, I think he's probably the best player still hanging around on the board. It's a need for the Jets. Um, like most of their first-round picks, I'm sure it's somebody they would trade in a couple of years anyway. But <laughs> I, I think he's a pick here. You look at when they're trying to compete with the Bills in this division. Um you need someone to cover Vaughn Dick. You need someone to cover Cole Beasley. Like, there's some legit wide receivers in this division. The Patriots just added a couple of themselves. Um, and, and so that's where the pick would head. But as far as, like, the opt-out part of it, it's interesting to me, you know, hearing that recently that it's been a problem for some players or it's kind of a, you know, black mark against them. So last summer, I remember asking some people around the NFL about Alabama players, and there was definitely guys around Alabama who were at least considering – not playing last season when everything was kind of in flux. And as far as the NFL was concerned, it didn't matter to them. Like they had already seen their tape. Um, they didn't care that players were deciding not to play. That wasn't any sort of red flag from a, you know, this guy loves football standpoint. Um, it just wasn't a factor. I think the biggest factor is probably for guys who are injured or they needed to show a little bit more in the field last season. Um, whether that specifically applies to Caleb Farley, I don't know, but, if I'm the Jets, that wouldn't scare me away from making the pick here is the point. He uh, he actually did to give you guys a little bit more insight on that. I, I read that he his 
mother passed away from an illness and his father was dealing with an illness too. So he didn't want to, you know, risk anything, which look, there are people like that. Right. And I think the sentiment that I get from people around the league is it'll impact those who have uneven attributes. Right. So if you go to the pro day and you run a four, three, eight, but you run like you run a four, six, that's going to be a problem. If you, look like you took plays off and you have no medical history around your family, that's going to affect you. But I don't think it's going to genuinely, like Mike said, I don't think it's going to immediately affect guys the way it's like, Ooh, this boogeyman of, of draft yeah. value. Um, that said, uh, 24, the, the Steelers weirdly got rid of Steven Nelson. Joe Hayden's getting up there in age it's time to bring in some Newsom, some Greg Newsom, who's been climbing, you know, I mean, I know the narrative is like, there's no such thing as climbing the draft board. We're analysts, we're scouts. And we say that he's a guy who, at least in the media, is starting to catch up to the NFL as far as his value. And I, for one, have seen Mike Tomlin work out DBs in torrential downpours at pro days in person. The dude loves drafting defensive backs. I think Greg Newsom's the guy. Yeah, that's going to bum out Bills, some Bills fans who are, are hoping that he somehow lasts at 30. But the more we get through this process, the more you learn about him. Uh, I think it's going to be a trade-up scenario. And listen, Ryan, I'll bring you in here to, to, to pick for Jacksonville. But with Newsom getting picked here, what are your thoughts on a move up to 24, you know, six spots to grab a Greg Newsom if, if he indeed is, you know, pretty high on the Bills draft board? Well, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you, you sit here and you listen to what Brandon Bean said recently. He said, we're not drafting just for the now. We're drafting for the future. And cornerback is one of those spots where they do need to draft for the future. You brought back Levi Wallace on a one-year deal. You still don't know what you have in Dane Jackson. And this is an opportunity to get a legitimate number you know, number two in, in Buffalo's case, cornerback uh, opposite Tredavious White on a rookie deal. You're already paying Tredavious White a, a large contract. So, so bringing in someone that's going to be coming in on uh, a much smaller contract opposite him for the foreseeable future, it, it makes a lot of sense. You don't have to rush him into the lineup this year, but obviously when you feel he's ready, he could supplant a Levi Wallace. So definitely worth it at that point if you feel like he is the answer for the team uh, at cornerback number two. I like it. Hit us with Jackson, the Jacksonville Jaguars here. Yeah, you know, you, you have Trevor Lawrence. I think you want to protect him. You want to add an offensive lineman to the mix. You have Cam Robinson on a franchise tag for one year. Uh, so I think this is a really sneaky good spot for an Alex Leatherwood, someone that you can experiment with as a tackle for one year, as a swing tackle, see what you have there. If it doesn't work out, I know they do have some some guard talent there, but at worst case scenario, you're, you're upgrading that offensive line talent and depth. Uh, and that's what you need when you have a franchise quarterback. So Alex Leatherwood, Alabama offensive lineman. Cleveland is jumping for joy if uh, the board falls like this. I think Christian Barmore is going to go much higher than this. Um, I'm going to make him the pick here. Mike, I'll transition to you for Baltimore. But before I do, what's your take on Barmore? I mean, it seems like everything I've read, he came on late in the year. Um, most scouts I've read would have put him right in the mix with some of the top guys last year on the interior um, a Javon Kinlaw, for for instance, but it's just that maybe that slow start this year that maybe hurt him a little bit. What, how would you like this pick for him here, and where do you kind of see him going? Yeah, I mean that's it's. I think more of the range for him is late first, early second. I've seen mid second. I think some of the people who have him mid first, that's a little high for a guy. He only started six games at Alabama, hmm. only played in twenty four, 
and first half to a third of those games, like he wasn't really a guy anybody talked about. And he started to come on a little bit towards the end of the, the 19 season. But then, like you said, the start of this year, he wasn't even a starter in fall camp. Um, and in fact, I remember an Instagram post that he put on in the middle of fall camp just saying, yeah, I, I ain't feeling this anymore. And a lot of people interpreted that and how accurate it was, I'm not totally sure that he was thinking about leaving or transferring from Alabama. And um, he had an injury in fall camp too that I think was affecting that. But kind of got it back together and by the end of last year he had six sacks in the final six games um it's just one of those guys you're you're kind of going off the raw talent the the six four three ten with some interior pass rush ability but just hasn't done it consistently didn't really do it game in and game out last year and i think that's it's a risk um to take him in the first round but you're just again, you're kind of rolling the dice on on his ability. I mean, Leatherwood too. Not to overlook him being taken there too. I mean, mm-hmm. another guy who I think is you know, probably projected more as a guard at the NFL. I don't know if he has the the arm length and the the quickness to be a tackle at the NFL level, but um, it's hot. I'll say that. I, I feel like I've seen him more in the second round. And personally, if I had to pick an Alabama lineman, I'd probably pick Dickerson from a talent standpoint, not a position standpoint over Leatherwood. Um, but it, he's, he's a good player. I mean, he won the Outland trophy, so that's, it's not easy to do either. Let me ask you about Dickerson real quick before yeah. we move on, because I actually picked him in the mock yesterday at, at 30 for the bills, just because looking long-term, you know, Mitch Morris, you got another year, obviously the injury concerns, but just what you're paying him and the chance to land a generational center, which I think some people believe if he could stay healthy, Dickerson can be. Do you get a sense of where his team or his um, his folks or, or people down in Alabama think he's going to go? Because I read something you know, yesterday after I put that pick in for the show that um, some people think he can go as late as day three. Yeah, that's where he seemed to be like towards the end of last season. Like we're talking like December and January. He wasn't being talked about a whole lot, and maybe because of the injury, but it seemed like he really got moved up and and rightfully so. I mean, I think if he thinks he's going late in the first, I think that's that's where he should be going. That's that's justified. The biggest issue with him is just the injury history. I mean, he played five years in college and he four of them he didn't finish because of an injury. Um I think he tore both knees up. So if he stays healthy he's a guy who could start at center for you for 10 years. He can start at guard for you. I mean, he, he's played tackle in college. He's just the prototypical offensive lineman in terms of, you know, grit and toughness and all that. Like he's, <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw the national championship game this year where he was out there three weeks after ACL surgery mm. and wanted to be in uniform, um, was going through warmups like he had never had surgery and then ended up playing the last two snaps of the game, which were a kneel down, but just a guy who has this football DNA to him that talk about what Sean McDermott looks for and what he likes. I could easily see that um, translating to the bills, you know, what they look for in a guy makeup wise and like, whether it's a guard or center, that, that's the thing too. He could play guard. Um, mm-hmm. and I think the bills probably have a need a guard too going forward. So I would not hate that pick. Um, for the bills if, if that was the case um 27 the ravens they could probably go in a couple ways what do you think they do here yeah i i like um trayvon morig in this spot seems like the best player on the, on the board and talk about alabama fans they were pretty peeved that uh morig won the the jim thorpe award 
uh, over Sertan last year. That was like the one award that Alabama did not pick up. And Morg was the guy who got it. And um, you, know, you talk about the Ravens defense of yours, always Ed Reed, you know, playing that safety spot and, and kind of bringing some attitude. And it seems like the Ravens have a need there. I don't know their roster inside and out, but um, I think that pick would translate well there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kay with the Saints. Well, they need a lot of cornerback help. Uh, they also could use a wide receiver. I don't know. I mean, this is a tough one. But then you look at a guy like Joe Tryon, who seems to be like gaining some steam. I'm going to go with him uh, to give them some edge pressure. I like it. Uh, moving right along here so we can get to what everybody in the comment section is probably waiting for. Uh, Ryan with the Packers here at 29, who I think could also steal Dickerson. Uh, draft Dickerson here uh, at this spot that if they want to go interior line. Yeah, it came down to Dickerson and a wide receiver for me for the Packers. I think last year a lot of fans thought they were going to go the wide receiver route. They haven't actually drafted a wide receiver in the first round since 2002 when they took Javon Walker, uh, but that changes this year. They take Rashad Bateman to add to that uh, Packers offense. All right, the Bills are up. We're going to kind of go around the horn here, um, and and I will start. I, I did a mock draft where I had him taking uh, trading up to get Jason Owe uh, based off of that unbelievable uh, pro day. And, you know, I still think that he can be in play here. I mean, if you go back and listen to Brandon Bean talk about what they're looking at here, you know, I don't want to call it hubris. There, there's a level of belief, I think, in that defensive coaching room that they can take a player – maybe like a Jason Oway, if they like what they see in these Zoom meetings and mold them into what they want him to be as a pass rusher. Now, I know that there's plenty of questions there. I know a guy like Joe Tryon, uh, he's also been somebody that people have talked a lot about as somebody that could maybe be a fit there. Uh, Carlos Basham Jr., I've seen even today, I think we're going to see this over the course of the next like week or so, guys just getting some some social, social shine all of a sudden. Uh, maybe he's a late-round uh, consideration um, as well, but I, I'm going to go away that I haven't gone yet. And, and because we have him on the line, you know, Mel Kuyper's first mock draft, he had the bills going Najee Harris. I know there's that Travis, Travis Etienne uh, hive out there on bills, Twitter, but let's, let's go with Harris here. From my perspective, I'll get Rodax take on that. And then who maybe you would have the bills pick here. Yeah, it's, I mean, I haven't seen a ton of Etienne. Alabama hasn't played Clemson in a couple of years now, but Najee, I think, is another player who, for some reason, just got underrated through the first few months of the the pre-draft process. And he wasn't a second, he wasn't a first-round pick in a lot of the mock drafts. He was a second-round pick early on, and now you see him more consistently going in the twenties, the you know the sturdy range to the Bills. And um, I would like to pick um, for the Bills. That, that's not to say I wouldn't like ETN. I think Najee's just a He's a good player all around. Um, strong, tough, big, fast enough for a big guy. Can catch the ball out of the backfield. Can make guys miss. Doesn't have top end speed, but you know I think it's NFL speed. Um, you know he's I think pretty good in pass protection as well. So good all around back. He, he was a three down player at Alabama, um, and, and off the field as well. I think he's a really just one of the more interesting guys that I've covered from a personality standpoint. We just did a big series with him on AL.com sitting down with him. It was probably a four hour interview with him and um, you know, just a really uh, big guy on social responsibility, social justice, a lot of those things. So I think he would add a lot to that locker room um, into the field as well for the bills. 
Um, and so would would you go this route too? Uh, with the board looks like this, give him Harris. Yeah, yeah. Again, I I wish I had seen more of ETN. I really haven't. Um, I, that's think back to the national championship game two years ago now um, to really have a good handle on that. But you know, if I had to pick between the two of them, just based on what I've seen from Najee, I'd probably pick Najee. Okay. Uh, look, I think this is an opportunity for our two beats to uh, intertwine here. Um, I think the Eagles are anxious to get rid of Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz is anxious to get rid of the Eagles. Uh, and I think he would be very accepting to an opportunity to play on this Bills team. I also think the Bills could get ETN or Harris if they wait until 37 to pick, which is the Eagles pick. So I think you would upgrade your tight end group and you'd still have a premium asset if the Eagles traded, excuse me, 37, Zach Ertz, and maybe 189, which is their first sixth-round pick, to the Bills for this move up. Now, I know on paper this seems like a lot for for the Eagles to give up from, from the sense of, you know, he's a legendary player, he caught the game-winning Super Bowl touchdown, et cetera. But realistically, this is kind of the value of a mid-third round pick, which is probably better than, than the Eagles would get on their own um, in a trade of him just for a pick. So to me, I, I would make that trade 10 out of 10 times for both sides. I just think it makes a ton of sense. And then I think the Eagles can can draft somebody like Tony, somebody like Eric Stokes from Georgia, somebody like Terrence Marshall from LSU. They need wide receiver help. And if they pass on a wide receiver at 12, look for them to be aggressive and trying to move up the board to get a number one wide receiver. Yeah, I don't think that that's crazy at all. I know, like, I think when, when people first saw the, the story you read, and I think people should go check it out over to NJ.com. Uh, Mike wrote about this about a week and a half ago. Um, it caused quite a, a conversation on social media. I don't think that they were kind of, I think they were, they thought that, you know, the Bills, you know, were, were trading 34 Zach Ertz. And they're, they're basically getting Zach Ertz and moving back seven spots. And I think, the way this board is played out. And I think the way the board is, is going to play out no matter what. I mean, most people you talk to, it's a range of 20 to 23 players with a first round grade. And so picking at that 30 spot is a really tough situation. Uh, what are your thoughts on all this, Ryan? Yeah, I think you can't go wrong with either of the backs at pick 30 if that's the route that Buffalo wants to go. Obviously, they did not uh, run the ball much last year, but you could still get either back involved in the passing game. Uh, your running could become more effective if you add a, a three-down back like Najee Harris to this unit, and that could make the offense even more dynamic and explosive, uh, which you know they, they need to keep up with a team like the Kansas City Chiefs. They fell behind. They couldn't really keep up offensively. Uh, looking at the rest of the board, you know, there's still some cornerbacks out there. There's Eric Stokes, who's available. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they go with an edge rusher at, at 30. And, and, you know, I know Gregory Rousseau's all over the place for different draft analysts, uh, but opted out last season, 15 and a half sacks, 19 and a half tackles for loss the year before that. Someone that you could bring in and develop over the year. Again, Bill's saying they're, they're thinking long-term, not short-term. Uh, you have Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes both in the final year of their contracts with the Bills, so you're you're probably moving on from them at the end of these contracts. Maybe Hughes comes back on a, a one-year deal. I, I guess that's possible, but all that's left then is A.J. Epinesa, and you still don't know what you have in him either. So uh, I could see Brandon Bean going a lot of ways, but if both backs are available, 
it's hard to argue that they one of them would not be the best player available. Um, if this uh, happens the way that it does, it would be seven um, Alabama players in the first round, which would be an NFL draft record. Um, is is that something that is on the radar at Alabama, or <laughs> is it something that anybody down there even cares about? I mean, it's kind of cool. Well, it, that's pretty much the only thing they care about. I mean, there's not a whole lot of NFL interest in general. It's not as if people sit on their couch every Sunday and watch NFL football. But there's always a pride factor. And if it's comparing Alabama draft picks to Auburn's draft picks or LSU's draft picks, then that's definitely something that people will put on their wall. I mean, there's Alabama's facility is gleaming. It's like an NFL facility, but there's this whole hallway, essentially, of all their awards and accolades and trophies. And all the players that are in the NFL right now got drafted. And I'm sure that would be added, you know, record seven guys picked in the, the 2021 draft. So there's there's absolutely a pride factor there. You know, if the Bills stay at 30, Ryan, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about it as we look at this board and, and what the Chiefs in Tampa will do as we wrap this thing up. And I want to get one more um, question in from Mike Rodak before we get out of here. Um, and Kay, feel free to chime in on this as well with your thoughts on the theory here. But listen, I think the Bills... You know, as much as I like a running back at this spot with the way this board played out, I, I, to, I told you my thoughts on Dickerson. There might be some consideration to taking Elijah Moore just so the Chiefs or the Buccaneers don't get him. Don't want to lose your fastball either. How many times have we heard that from the Bills? Uh, this passing game was dynamic last year. It should be very good this year. Uh, you're replacing John Brown with Emmanuel Sanders. Brown obviously dealt with some injuries last year. But if you look at that wide receiver room, Emmanuel Sanders, he's 34. He's on a one-year deal. Isaiah McKenzie is a gadget guy, one-year deal. Uh, Cole Beasley's in a scenario the same as John Brown one year ago, where if the Bills wanted to part ways with him at the end of this year, they could. I don't see that happening. He is still very productive. But he he was playing on a, with a very serious injury at the end of the year. So if you want to add to that wide receiver room, add someone that can contribute this year, but really then take a, a bigger role next year. Yeah. A, a player like that would make a lot of sense. All right. Rodak and Kay uh, finishes up here in terms of the draft. Who do you have the um, chiefs and bucks taking? Well, first I just want to say, whenever I hear the name Elijah Moore, all I can think about is asking Nick Saban about him before the old miss game last year. And that was the one time I got chewed out by Nick Saban. Cause I asked him, who does he compare to that you've seen this season or, or are going to see this season? And he did not like that question. He did not want to compare anybody to anybody. That's one of his pet peeves. So whenever I see the name Elijah Moore, that's the only thing I can really think about. But he had a great game against Alabama. You think about <laughs> like a, a, an offer, an offense that really played well against Bama last year. It was Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. Um, and, yeah, we talked about replacing Cole Beasley one, two, three years down the road. I mean, Elijah Moore, I think, would be a pretty good fit for that that role as well. Um, but yeah, as far as the Chiefs, I'm thinking edge rusher here. I mean, it seems like there's a couple guys hanging out there between Zayvon Collins and Aziz Ojolari. I, I'm not a scout. I haven't watched these guys enough to really differentiate between one or the other. But for the sake of this mock, I'll go with um, Collins to the Chiefs at 31. Okay. Oh, there's a lot that could go on here. Uh, I mean, look, the Bucks are a really talented roster, but you can always add. And I, I feel like they're in a spot to kind of, you know, take chances. Um, you know, I'm looking at a guy like Jason 
away from uh, Penn State, who didn't have a sack last year, but has like incredible measurables. I think he could be really interesting uh, in a Todd Bowles defense. That said, they could go Elijah Moore to kind of fill that Antonio Brown sort of role of getting moving around the offense and 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 you know spreading the field out. So that's what I'm going to do. Elijah Moore will miss. I like it. Heck of a mock draft there, gentlemen. Uh, thank you so much for that. Before I let you get out of here, uh, let me just stop sharing the screen as our technology is just terrible. Rodak, give me your thoughts on the Bills. Like, what's transpired since you left the beat uh, from afar here? How they're set up going into next season? And, Kay, I'd like your thoughts as well since, you know, I, I think you got some NFL takes. Well, I haven't watched a ton of them. I mean, there hasn't been a ton of games on TV down here. In the primetime games, yes. In terms of like the regional Sunday afternoon games, we get very few of those. It's mostly Falcons, Saints, um, Titans in terms of the nearby teams. But it seems like what that plan, at least when I was there, let's say my last two years would have been 17 and 18, the first two years of McDermott and Bean. And that was when that plan that they had was kind of still nebulous. Like it was still something that we weren't quite sure if it would work out long term. Um, the 18 season, especially when they were messing around with Peterman and, and kind of the things that went on early on in that year. And then it seemed like by the end of the 18 season, right before I left, that they started to kind of figure things out. Remember those games with Josh and Robert Foster and um, even McKenzie, I think, coming on late in that year. But they were still kind of undermanned. And then they went out, spent all that money that offseason, and that's when I left. Um, but it seems like their plan has kind of come to fruition since then. Um, you know, is it, are they exactly where they thought they would be after four years? I don't know. I, you guys would probably know better than I would, but it seems like they're, they're on a pretty good track. Um, they have the pieces in place, I think, to win in the NFL right now in terms of quarterback and receiver, um, offensive line to some extent, but you know, there's still, there's holes around and it seems like it's like playing whack-a-mole a little bit. They, they fill one hole and another one pops up and you kind of have to keep backfilling through the draft. And then there's these salary cap issues that they seem to have to work around. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. Um, the gap obviously was still pretty large between them and the chiefs. I think in that, that championship game. And I don't know if that's just going to close by itself this off season, but anything can happen year to year in the NFL and you know, who knows which direction things will go. Okay. I wanted your thoughts on this from a perspective of you live through covered the Carson Wentz saga and the ups, the highs of it. And then ultimately the lows of it. What's from afar, what's your perception of how the bills have done this and the potential sustainability of it, uh, having covered a similar kind of rise and then fall. I think it's a little different from a fan aspect. It's really tough to play in Fidelity, like really tough. Uh, great fan base when they're winning, very irritable when they're not, and not in the way that Buffalo is. Like I call Buffalo like smaller market Philly in the intensity factor, but it seems like Bills fans, no matter what, embrace the guys if they wear that helmet. And so – Look, it can be tough if you're not playing well, you know, you're going to be dragged through the coals. And, um, you know, obviously I have experience in a smaller market. I covered the Jaguars until 2018. I covered the Bills first uh, playoff game and what felt like forever. Uh, <laughs> waiting 20 years for that game was something well, else. Um, and three. 
Yeah, yeah, I was <laughs> poor Tyrod and Nate yeah. Peterman. Um, poor, but poor yeah, Rodak. I mean, poor Rodak. He he covered yeah, that poor thing. Rodak. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think they're doing right by their quarterback. They're they're enhancing the offensive line. They're enhancing the wide receiver position. Um, they're going homegrown with the defense. That's what you have to do. You know, they're drafting well. Bean's done a really good job drafting, and that's what the Eagles didn't do, and that's why they failed Carson Wentz. And in a way, Carson Wentz failed them because he wasn't able to be that franchise guy after all those injuries. And so I think, look, I once jokingly wrote during uh, Josh Allen's pro day that I was in an outback. I wasn't an outback at the time. But Josh Allen throws the ball like he's trying to punish the wind for existing. And the dude has such arm talent. He's got so much upside. He's he's gone through this trajectory where he's grown every year. And I think that that's a positive because Carson Wentz kind of, like the Eagles, really overachieved, in my opinion, in that second year. Uh, It led to a Super Bowl. Everybody's happy about that. But three years later, the head coach is gone. The quarterback's gone. Um, and it's a rebuild and it's a mighty rebuild. It's like when Sean McDermott took over and gutted basically the entire team and they still kind of willed themselves to the playoffs weirdly. And, you know, they overachieved there. So that's what they're hoping they can do with Nick Sirianni, a Western New York guy. And, um, look, I, I think the bills are in a really good spot to compete for a really long time. Even after Josh Allen gets that extension, the problem is you, you know, as Mike brought up, the Kansas City Chiefs, you've got a young guy who's already under contract who can do it. You know, he's an MVP can- caliber guy. The AFC is so much more difficult than the NFC right now. And that's what you really have to contend with. But for right now, from wh- where I'm sitting, the a- a- the AFC East is the Bills division and it's not even close. All right. Uh, Mike Rodak, AL.com is where you can find all of his work. Uh and you're definitely going to want to dive into it. I, I know that, you know, we, we joke all jokes aside, um, you know, th- there, there are plenty of people that respect the work that you did while you were in town and uh, you are a good man. And I think people should give you a new, a, another chance. I've even seen some com- comments in here, guys, relax, relax a little bit. I, I, I guess part of it, I stand for you a little bit because I sat next to you for 2018 and uh, people like to get in their jokes. Uh, I think that, uh, you're a great guy, and you did a great job, and you're continuing to do great work. MikeKNJ.com, all the Philadelphia Eagles coverage you can handle uh, if you need it. Uh, he'll have some other stuff as well. Ryan, give us a, a final thought. Get us out of here. Yeah, final thought. I mean, this is the most exciting time of the year. It used to be, especially for Bills fans, because they're always in that top 10, top 12. But, you know, the, the Bills can't go wrong with where with what they do because there's so many long-term positions they could address. So, Whoever it is, because I saw a lot of fans in the commentary not too thrilled with the running back position. I Whoever Bills will have a plan in place. Brandon Bean's not just going to turn in a card and hope for the best. They're going to have a plan 2021, 22, and beyond. All right. For Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. We will be back. Um, we're taping something tonight, actually. So that, that should drop uh, sometime this weekend. Another draft interview. It's almost here. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Thanks for having us.